You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. All right, so let's go ahead and just thank God for every man called by the name of LifePoint, every man that God has given to us in this commission. Let's thank God for every man in the room, every man watching online. Thank God for their lives. Thank God for their journeys. And I want you to just declare over them that they will not be small. Declare that the hand of God will rest mightily upon their lives. Please go ahead and declare. Just while praying and preparing this morning, the scripture God gave me was interestingly a scripture where the psalmist was uttering curses. And the word that came to my heart was, your space will not be empty. Your space will not be vacant. And I want to read it the way it is. It says your days will, I mean, it's the reverse, but your days will not be few. In the name of Jesus, another will not take your office. Your place of planting where God has positioned you in the mountains of influence that exist in the world, in the world systems, you will not be found lacking. You will not be found wanting. In the family institution, you would arise as men of vigor, as men of stature, as men of strength. We declare over life points men that you are different. Where they are complaining about young men lacking vision, where women are complaining about young men not knowing what to do, we declare that you are an eternal excellency. In the name of Jesus, that is who you are. You you begin to manifest your God-given potential. You are of a different breed. You are the men that are faithful. You are men that respect the ordinances of God when it comes to family, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to raising children, parenting. We declare over you that the works of your hands are blessed, that God would enlarge your coast in the name of Jesus. You would strengthen your stakes. You would expand to the right and to the left. We declare over your businesses, over your jobs, over your families, that it is well with you. You will not be caught short in your prime. In the name of Jesus, that God would use you mightily in this generation. You would arise as men of influence who will sit at the gates and have conversations. You will be men of influence whose light will shine and penetrate darkness. And so we call you forth and we say begin to manifest your God-given potential. Begin to walk in the light of the wisdom of God. We pray for you. Supernatural wisdom, supernatural strength, the peace of God will garrison your heart. You would enjoy an abundant supply of joy. Oh, His Spirit is poured out upon you afresh. In the name of Jesus, you will dream dreams. You will see visions. You would hear God clearly. You will walk with God deeply. In the name of Jesus, that you would indeed be a priest over your home. You will be a protector. You will be a provider. You will serve in the office that God has placed you. You will not be found wanting. Another will not take your place. Father, we thank you for all of our men and we just give you praise for the great and mighty things that you are doing in their lives. We present them to you. We ask, Lord, that you continue to walk with them. Father, reveal yourself to them in a new way. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, women, for praying. Thank you so much. God bless you. All right. Um, Okay, so I'm just going to (laughs) run through the remaining announcements that I have. We continue our 21-day fast. We're on day what now? Day seven. How many more days to go? 14 days to go. If you're yet to join us, we invite you to please, please, please join us. We're having an absolutely amazing time. We're subduing the flesh and we're energizing our spirit man. 
We are laying hold on everything, every promise. For those who were in Bible study this morning, I don't need to repeat it. Pastor Aya said it all. But every promise that God has already given to us, it exists. In fact, that scripture in Hebrews 11.1, 1, I rewrote it in my, in my notepad there. You know where it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It is the substance of existing things hoped for. Is the evidence of existing things not seen. You know, I put that word existing there because we understand that God has given to us freely all of these things. We only just require to wait on him to begin to manifest or walk in the realities of the things that he has freely given to us before the foundations of the world. And these things exist in Christ Jesus. So please plug in. Plug in. If you're not praying in this season, I don't know what you are doing. And you're using this mouth to, to have conversations when you can talk to God in addition. If you're not fasting, we encourage you, except you have a health challenge, you know, please plug in. Uh, we pray every day at 7 p.m. And we're going to pray this evening at 7 p.m., right? Awesome. So even though you've come to church today, it's still okay to pray. Just pray with brethren, yeah? Pray with other believers, 7 to 8. It's not a long one. Um, our media conference at the Elevation Church, Accelerate, is also happening in two weeks. Um, ahead of that, this week, we'll be joining Elevation Church in the 72-hour prayer chain. So we're encouraging LifePoint members to join the 7 to 8 prayer slot every day. That's Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, because that's where most LifePointers will be converging, okay? But feel free to do more than one prayer slot. What is important is that you just find an opportunity to plug in. So there's been 72 hours of prayer provided already. You can pray for as long um, as you want, all right? Um, there's also the expectation cards that you are, you are, we would like for you to download at elevationng.org forward slash accelerate. You can download the expectation cards from there. And it's essentially you just articulating the things you're hoping and trusting God for um, as outcomes from the conference. Lastly, on Accelerate Conference is um, we've been asked to just remind us all um, across all of the Elevation churches that uh, we typically would look to God for a seed you know, Scripture says that he ministers seed to the sower uh, and bread to the eater. So whatever the Holy Spirit lays on your heart to give during the conference, we encourage you to please um, start to have those conversations with him so that he can lead you in the right direction and you prepare yourself, you know, prepare your accelerate seed. All right, uh, we hold water baptism here next week Sunday, right after service, and... Um, We'll still have our Bible trivia next week. So the team who didn't, or teams who didn't win, there's still an opportunity for you to um, have a solid comeback, yeah? Lastly, PVCs. Yeah. As an outcome of last week's message, if you're still here, if you're in the room or you're online and you don't have your PVC yet, we want to encourage you, please get it. We pray, but we also take action. Scripture says, and that was what we spoke about extensively last week, that we are salt and we are light. You cannot fold your hands and do nothing. Yeah? So please, please, please get your PVCs. And we're also going to be facilitating that um, in the coming weeks. I think next week or next two weeks, we will have people come here and register you. So if you haven't, um, there's an opportunity for you to do that. Or if you're looking to transfer in and all of that stuff, all the administrative issues with your PVCs will be providing an opportunity for you. That will happen after um, service as well. Phew. Okay. 
All done? Yes. Let's get into the word. So we started two weeks ago a new teaching series which we tagged Resilient Faith. And we said it's the faith that pushes through, the faith that perseveres. The faith that is hinged on the finished work of Christ. The faith that is hinged on the protocols um, of heaven wherein God has already delivered certain things to us. He's made certain things available to us. Scripture says that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places through Christ. He's made these things available to us. And so, um, but life doesn't exactly present itself in such a rosy way, you know. It's not every time you find yourself walking as though, well, I really have it all going well. Yeah? It's not every time you'd not find yourself encountering trials and tribulations. We're reminded that our faith is not what we pick up and drop. I said something two weeks ago, that when you are not functioning from a place of rest over any matter, then you are not walking in faith. Yeah? Because faith requires you to understand that God has already done this. So regardless of whatever it is that is happening around me, regardless of whatever it is, that my body is telling me, God has done this already. And he did it even before I began to exist in my human form. So today we continue the teaching and it's called Future Proofing. Faith for tough decisions. Faith for tough decisions. We read out of Hebrews 11 during Bible study and we'll still continue that uh, that's actually the focus, our anchor scripture for today. It's out of Hebrews 11, um, but different verses from that entire, uh, the faith hall of fame. So I'll read one or two. By faith, this is verse four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. We have the experience of Noah in verse 7. We have the experience of Abraham in verses, verse 8. Uh, verse 17, scripture still references the experience of Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he, was, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, to Isaac your seed shall be called. You see, this hall of fame, as it were, these guys made really tough decisions. They faced very dire circumstances that ideally, if it were probably maybe you and I, maybe more me than you, you know, I would question, I would question God's love for me. I would question God's agenda for me. And there's a high likelihood that I may not obey. Because here was a Noah asked to build an ark when the world had never seen rain or understood the concept of rain. This thing didn't exist. So how do you, how do you prevent something that no one had ever seen or, or, or experienced before? Here was an Abraham at his old age, promised his son. And then afterwards, then asked to go and sacrifice that same son of promise. So these guys... We're faced with 
tough decisions. And I just want to say to someone here very quickly that this is a two-part teaching. So you also don't want to miss next week's um, service because we will land the thoughts next week. But moving on from this, guys, let's look at Moses. This is by faith. Moses, when he was born, this is verse 23, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Then Moses himself, by faith, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And we know how that story pans out. It has been said that the average adult makes about 35,000 decisions every day, according to research. So from what you would eat, to what you will wear, to who you will date, to whether I should take an Uber or you should take a public transportation, we are making decisions. Some people had to make maybe like 500 decisions about what to wear before you came to church this morning. Some people are not as deep. But either ways, we, are, we find ourselves making decisions and our decisions vary in quantum, they vary in impact, they vary in significance. Some of us have made really life-threatening decisions that but for the mercy of God, you probably will not be here today. Some of us are very flippant with our decision-making. Whatever will be, will be. And so we let, as we say, life happen to us. So the objective of today's teaching is to help us understand that as Scripture says that the just shall live by faith, as God's children, we are expected as believers, as those with authority, we're expected for our decision-making capacity and capabilities to be top-notch. Why? Because it is hinged on faith. Now, the focus is more around tough decisions. When you are faced with those dire circumstances, how do you deal? What do you do? What is your decision-making framework? How does your mind function? I mean, at Bible study this morning, we were reminded about Esther and how she faced a really tough decision. She had to go into the king and all. But she would make one request that people should fast for her, while she and her maidens would also fast. Esther understood the importance and the gravity of the conversation that she was going to have. She did not assume that, well, because I am married to the king, I can just stroll in there and have it casually. She recognized and she saw that, you know, in fact, maybe she didn't see it clearly initially, but Mordecai helped her see now, this thing is deep. This thing is big. This, is, this will wipe out an entire generation if you sit and do nothing. So I want us to start to just very quickly run through in our minds. What decisions are you making in this season, especially as you're on this fast? What are the decisions before you? What are those tough decisions that you need to make or that you have made and you've been very casual and very flippant about? So let's move on very quickly. At any given time, your life is an aggregate of the outcomes of your decisions. While some outcomes have fully played out, the effect of others are still unfolding. And we need to understand that. Some of us, we are here because of the decisions we have made. Yeah? You are a sum total of the decisions you have made, the actions you've taken, and the mercy of God. So... Is it possible that maybe things could have turned out differently if you had not dated that guy, if you had not taken that job or compromised yourself in a particular work situation or business situation? Maybe. But we're here today and we're just 
trusting that our father would do that which only he can and that the mercy of God would prevail over decisions um, that have been taken or action that have been taken that completely are outside of his counsel or his will. In Jesus' name, amen. So the resilience of my faith is demonstrated by the quality of my decisions and choices, especially when the stakes are high. And I want to talk us very quickly through the significance of decisions. We're going to differentiate them into four broad categories and we will use examples to explain them. So there, we are, there is the first category, which is potential consequences, whether they're positive or negative. And I remember something just preparing for this, something that P.I. said um, maybe some three or so years back in one of his teachings on the power of choice. He says, God respects our choices. However, our choices must respect the consequences attached to them. So you go and sleep with someone, you have unprotected sex, and then you either get pregnant or you catch a, an STD or whatever. And then you look to God and say he was unjust. There are consequences to action. When you make a bad decision, there are natural laws that come into play. Which was why I said earlier that the mercy of God prevails, you know. But God's wisdom is available so that you and I do not have to make those decisions that will constantly open up doorways for the enemy to take advantage of us and sell us a lie. So, potential consequences. Um, we have the magnitude and severity. How many people or things can be affected and how good or bad? So magnitude in terms of, in terms of the spread. Some decisions you make not only affect you, they affect your family members. You know, and I just want to piggyback off today being Father's Day celebration. So for, for, for the fathers in the room or potential fathers to be, you're, you're, you make a poor investment decision. And we've, had, we've seen situations like that. You know, when you hear things like, when you hear women say things, and I'm not advocating that it's a good position, but when you hear women say things like, your money is our money, my money is my money, it is because of other people's experiences or maybe even their own experiences. The man is reckless, he's a spendthrift and things like that. And then you expect that the family finances and resources will be committed into your hands because you are the head of the family. So sometimes our decisions would affect not just us, the people around us, people who care about us, people who are involved in our lives. So hence why we need to be very, very... Um, informed and we, we, we take decisions that glorify God, decisions that don't put us in jeopardy or don't, don't hurt the people who love us. Yeah? So in terms of severity, speaking to the impact, now you have the duration of effect. How long will this effect last? How long will this action that I have taken, this consequence, how long will it last? And then lastly, you have the reversibility. Can these outcomes be easily remedied? Can they be reversed? And I will use three case studies very quickly, and I'm going to need you guys to contribute. For everyone online, just go ahead and put your comments in the chat section. So we're going to use three stories. The first story is the story of Paul, sorry, Saul. No, Esau. I apologize. Esau, yes. Let's, using that framework that we have up on screen here, this four, um, this four, what do we call them now? Someone should borrow me a word. This, this four touch points. Thank you. Let's use them to um, break down 
Esau's journey and Esau's story. So we see Esau's story in Genesis 25 from verses 29 to 34. What was the decision that we knew Esau made that got him into trouble? What was it? Exactly. So the decision was to sell or not to sell, right? Are we together? It was to sell or not to sell. To sell my birthright for a, in fact, how I put it in my note here is for bread and stew. <laughs> to show you how, because I mean, scripture says it's a, for a muscle of bread is what scripture refers to it in Hebrews. Abi, is it Hebrews? Yes, Hebrews. So it's bread and stew. It was muscle of bread and Lenten stew, aka bread and stew. To show you how flippant um, Esau's decision-making process was. Scripture says that he was hungered. He was hungry. That's the KJV. He was hungry. He was hungry. Speaking to appetites. So, in terms of the weight or importance, is it high, mid, low? The decision that he made now to sell his birthright. In terms of the gravity, is it a high, a mid, or a low? Let's rate it. High, right? Good. Now, in terms of potential consequence, was it positive or negative, the consequence of his decision? Negative, good. In terms of magnitude and, or, and severity, high or low? High. Now, in terms of duration of effects, short, mid, or long term? Some people say everlasting. Exactly. And I absolutely agree. And we see it in scripture. Because by the time he was done and his eyes cleared, and just let me help somebody here, because what I prepare for is someone might be wondering birthright. Well, what, what, what's that exactly? So it's, it has to do with both position and inheritance. By birthright, the firstborn son inherited the leadership of the family and the judicial authority of his father. So we see today, we say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Not Esau. And I know that, yes, in case somebody is also thinking, but God already preordained this thing. He already said the older will serve the younger and all. And perhaps somebody is wondering here, and hey, what if that has been the kind of ordination concerning my own life too? That Muma Shishe, something like that. For the benefit of non-Yoruba speakers, I will misdo. Like Esau misdeed. What if I'm just acting out a script? Just in case somebody is thinking. Because God already said it. But I want to say to you here, We've seen in scripture how people would cost correct, regardless of whatever it is that has been. I mean, there was, an, there, was a, there was Hezekiah, who the prophet had come to tell, God has requested your life back. But he would have a conversation with God. There was a Jabez, you know, who would also have a conversation with God. You need to flip this script. This name is not working. So it is possible that regardless of whatever it is, you know, there's a high likelihood. See, I don't know. Okay, I need to focus because I'm about to go into Esau's character. But let me, let me stay with the script. We'll talk about that maybe at a Bible study session. So, in terms of reversibility, yes or no? Could, could the effect, now that we say it's everlasting, obviously it cannot be reversed, right? And we see that play out in Scripture. Hebrews, so let me read Genesis 27:40. He says, you shall, this was after Esau had come back to cry to his father. Give me something. There's got to be something left where this blessing came out of. Because he understood that, that he had missed the firstborn's right. 
you know, the, the, the blessing that his father needed to release upon him so that he could continue to walk in, in the fulfillment of the legacy that God had already given to them, the inheritance that he had in that lineage. And his father would say to him, you shall serve your brother and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Case closed. But see what Hebrews say about, um, can we have it up on screen? Hebrews 12, 16 to 17. 16 to 17, Hebrews 12. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one muscle of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance. Though he sought it diligently with tears. It's not in our generation premium tears started. It started way back. So with the premium tears, it produced nothing. There was no room to reverse because he had already blessed and Jacob was blessed. And just in case you feel like, hey, Esau self, my question to you this morning that I need you to think about when you're considering decision-making framework and your mindset is, what is your own appetite? Esau's, at that point in time, the scripture says he was a profane person and put him in the same category as a fornicator. A profane person is one who is godless and is also someone who's wicked. Those are two words that, you know, um, define the word profanity. Godlessness and wickedness. So fundamentally, there was a, a problem with Esau's makeup that informed his choices, the quality of his choices and his decisions. His parents said, don't marry from one place. It's a, it's a lie. He went and married from there. Got wives, strange women. So all of this comes together to show you the quality of your decisions. Where are they coming from? What, what is the heart? So when we say come and fast in this season, it's so that you can die to flesh, so that I can put my flesh under. We're not trying to feel like spiritual juggernauts. I'm not trying to say, I mean, punish you. It is so that your decision-making capability will be spirit-led, spirit-induced, and not your feelings, be catching feelings. You are in your feelings. Everything's about your feelings. Where is the Spirit of God in everything? In your decision-making process, where is the Spirit of God? Another example I want us to look at very quickly is David. We see him in 2 Samuel 17, 17 and verse 26. And the decision was very simple. It was a decision to kill or not to kill. His father sends him on an errand. Go check out your brothers. They are at the war front. He shows up there. And he had to make a decision. Nobody asked him to buy the way. But he came to that place. He took ownership and decided, I need to address this matter. It is not okay for things to continue to persevere like this. Because why? They had been there for what? Maybe about 40 days. And Goliath had been terrorizing the children of Israel. So, that's the decision. In terms of the weight or importance, what do you guys think? High, mid, low? Very high. Yeah. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? See how David considered 
his, his decisions. Look at what, the thought that he put into it. Now, it's easy to think, ah, maybe David was just trying to set himself up, you know, uh, for fame. But the latter response or the latter question suggests the heart out of which David's discernment or decision-making came from. And it was, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That was the cocoa of the matter. That was the thing for, 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 for David. It wasn't so much about what will be done. Even though the economic and social value that came out of that decision was worth it. Let's see what it says. In terms of potential consequence, was it positive or negative? Positive, yes. Verse 25 of that same First Samuel 17 says, it says, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So look at the decision-making flow. Aside from the fact that this guy was disrespecting God, there were also pecs that made David think about, well, this, this won't be bad. It won't be a bad idea to do this. But he was largely driven from the need to help his people. But to then have this type of economic negotiation and advantage for his family was also a very welcome idea. And then by extension or by implication, he gets transferred into royalty by marriage. Was also a good one. So, but he understood the weight of the decision to be made. Which was why when Paul, Saul would ask him, are you sure you're up to this? You're young. This guy has been a man of war from his youth. That's Goliath. But you, have you? And he would respond to him to say, look, I have killed the lion. I have killed the bear. One thing I love that David does is how he lands that statement. He would then say in response, do we have it up? Please go to that verse in 1 Samuel 17 where he was having that conversation with Saul. He said, I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. God, he attributes the glory to God. God who enabled me, take out the lion and the bear, will also give this one to me. So, again, decision making. The duration of the effect of such a decision was obviously long term. Now, very quickly, a last one. Just in case you're feeling like, well, maybe David really just was more all for becoming royalty and less of God's will. Let's look at Joseph. Let's look at Joseph quickly. The decision was to sleep or not to sleep, to commit adultery or not with Mrs. Potiphar. In terms of importance, how was the weight? High. He says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me, sleep with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what it is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Why? Because you are his wife. But look at how he, he lands his response. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness? And what? And what, guys? Sin against God. How shall I do this evil 
and sin against God. Not sin against my master. Joseph knew who he was answerable to. You see, the problem we have in our generation is our allegiance. We have allegiance issues. Truth is, if you're not, if you've not pledged your allegiance to God, there's obviously something else. It's either self, money, things, other things. Yeah, but there's obviously something that is Lord and Master. There is no man here that is, the spirit is not ruled by something. There's got to be something leading you. There's got to be something driving your decisions. For Joseph, it was very clear. It was God. I really don't care. And you know, I was meditating earlier this week on just Joseph's story. I try and do that from time to time every year. And Joseph, he, his garments, his garments have always been very, I've found them quite interesting. So first of all, there was the coat of many colors. And that for me symbolized my personal um, opinion, just symbolized comfort. It symbolized love. It symbolized someone who was dotted on, just comfortable environment. But we see what happened. Let me put the summary out here. We don't have too much time. His garments at every face of his life represented a level that he needed to leave to get into the level that he, 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 he was destined to. So his brothers forcefully took off that coat of col many colors from him and sold him off. That was the end of one level, as it were. And then he entered into pit, from pit. Went, but maybe in pit, he, he, he probably was naked. Only God knows. Went to Potiphar's house. He had on another garment. What was that? Slaves' garment. And Mrs. Potiphar would come and present a situation to him. Sleep with me. I'll take care of you. I'll be, you'll be all right in this house. What would be if he had compromised and accepted that next, that offer? What do you think his next clothing item would have been? What? Anybody? Sorry? Grift. Possibly he could have been killed. But let's assume that it turned out okay, that they did not find out. He would have been senior slave. That is all. Do you understand? He would have been still senior slave. But see what happened. He didn't do it. They lied against him and he got into another garment, which was what? Prisoner's garment. And this is where you and I make really tough decisions. Because you see, when he was, he would have been remembering his coat of many colors when he was in the pit. When he was in, wearing the slave's clothing item, me, me, in this nonsense. When I had a coat of many colors, Buga, he would have been remembering. He would have been remembering his coat of many colors. And what do we do in such situation? I mean, just think about it. There's no time to start to give personal examples. But for some of us, there's certain compromises we make at work. Certain compromises we make in business. Certain compromises you make in your relationships for the promise of a better tomorrow. Meanwhile, what we do is we shortchange ourselves. When God had that beautiful prime minister's regalia hung up for him, that's the destination. But to get there, there'll be trials and tribulations. There'll be tests. 
do you think if, David, if Joseph had slept with Mrs. Potiphar, do you think he would have made it to prime minister? Never. Remember the scripture we read about Esau? He sought it with tears. There was no repentance available. In that particular situation, it was case closed. But here, we see how Joseph would respond. And he showed us where his allegiance was, or to whom his allegiance was. And so I want us to think and be very reflective when it comes to decisions that are life and destiny shaping and enabling. Don't be flippant. Esau was flippant. Don't be. Samson was flippant. When we talk about grace issues, you cannot be flippant with your destiny. They rub your head, rub your head, rub your head. You, you told them the secrets. And you have, we sit in church, we we'll insult Samson. Some of you, your head down women's laps and you have finished your destiny. Sorry, but it is what it is. And the same thing goes for women too. You have slept your destiny away with different men. Just, just where is your allegiance, guys? I, just, I'm, I need to just hold myself and finish this message. Where is it? So think about it. What represents profanity in you? Just preparing for this message, it was, it was very strong in my heart. I should just pray. And let, let's do that now. I want everybody here to just pray and say, God, just open my eyes to see if there be any wickedness in me. Perhaps there's stuff that I'm not aware of. You know, there's uh, my appetite. I'm asking God. And for some of us here, you might be looking at it and saying, oh, all of these things don't apply to me. I don't sleep around. I love Jesus and all that. Jealousy, envy, pride. You say, let's die to self in these 21 days. You are complaining. Would you go ahead and just ask, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see the areas where I need to die to self. The areas where I need to course correct. The areas where if there be any wickedness in me, Father, I'm asking today that by your mercy, please remove. I, I let go. I strip away in the name of Jesus. Everything that is in me that you have not created to be in me. That has... You know, I have by nurture, by conditioning, by the events of, of, of life, the things that have come to me, that I have allowed my feelings and my emotions and my flesh get the better of me. Holy Spirit, grant me the grace to walk with you. In Jesus' name. Pray against unhealthy desires. Unhealthy desires. And ask that God would deliver you from those unhealthy desires, unwholesome behavior, anything that is not of God, that is trying to manifest itself in you, today would you let go in the name of Jesus and declare that God's hand would rest mightily upon you, that your spirit man comes alive. Your spirit man comes alive. You subdue and you mortify the deeds of the flesh. In the name of Jesus, go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost if you have a prayer language. That you mortify the deeds of the flesh. It's not enough to look at these guys in scripture and, and, and to condemn them. What is your decision-making framework right now? What is the decision-making pattern that you have embraced? What informs your choices? Is it peer pressure? Is it past experiences or other people's experiences? Is it your feelings, your emotions, your five senses? Scripture says of Jesus in Isaiah, the prophet will say concerning him that he will not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor the hearing of his ears. 
So when you say, Holy Spirit, take over. Take over my life completely. I surrender and I submit to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm just going to read out these six points. Can we have that slide up? And as I wrap up, your decision-making templates. It says to screen the decision to determine its significance and how much attention it deserves. Please put that slide of um, Mark Zuckerberg up. So there was this time when, of course, Mark Zuckerberg's wife put to bed and he put up a post and said, oh, he was done with paternity leave. Can we have that slide up, the picture? He said he was done with paternity leave and he was resuming back to work and showed the world a picture of his closets. You can see. Is there anything different there? Same gray shirt, gray pants. Why? Because he understands that investing this time to decide what he will wear for two hours is not effective. Let's just wear and be going. I have a friend who, who does something like this. Only, I mean, it's not gray shirt. It's white shirt. Because he doesn't want to think about colors. White will go on anything. So he always wears white shirt. I thought he was trying to create a brand. But I realized that this is actually wisdom. You are not thinking too much. Some of us, we have trivialized the things that are of eternal importance, that need attention, and we have prioritized the things that are trivial. So would you go ahead and pray this morning and say, Father, help me in my decision-making. Help me focus on the things that are important. And let me not trivialize the things that are of value to you. That the very things your heart beats for, the things that you're calling me to, Holy Spirit, help me and let my heart be in tune. Let my decision-making faculty be on point, inspired, led by the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, help me part time to understand the things that I need to let go of, the things that I need to deprioritize in this season, in Jesus' name. Amen. So screen your decisions. There are some people that need to be out of your life. There's some people you need to embrace, but you have refused to embrace them because of the hard, the, the, the hard truths that they produce. So, second thing, please put that, that slide back up. It says, get relevant and important information. The third thing is, consciously and courteously, courteously seek counsel. Find people to be accountable to. You're struggling with um, unwholesome, unhealthy habits. Find a support system. Join a small group. Be a part of Life Point League. Study with us. We're doing Bible study. We're, find a community of people that can help you grow in your journey. People you can be accountable to. Be humble enough to make adjustments when superior information is available as God reveals things to you in this season. Make the necessary adjustment. Humble yourself. Embrace correction. Then lastly, never make important decisions when your emotions are high. Some of people have lost jobs because they have responded to their bosses in a way and manner that, they, that got them evicted or kicked out of an organization. Why don't you put type that message and go? Leave it. Go. Come back. Read it with fresh pair of eyes. Some people have cut short destiny relationships out of anger, out of pride, out of envy, out of jealousy. I pray for us all this morning in the name of Jesus. As we continue in the next 14 days, may the Spirit of God come upon you afresh and may you become another man. In the name of Jesus, may you be led and inspired in your decision making. And may God's hand rest mightily upon you, opening your eyes to see, helping you understand your identity, who you are in Him. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. God bless you all.
Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.